All right, Forge family, uh, we looked together last time at Daniel chapter 2. In that chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar had had a disturbing dream and sleep had left him. And he summoned in his magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, astrologers, uh, and and probably worse, okay? Um, they, They wanted the king to play back to them the dream that he had had so that they could interpret it. Now, whether Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten his dream, and there are some scholars who say, oh, no, he forgot the dream. You know, he, he really needed Daniel to recover it. Uh, or he, was just, he just had it with dealing with the off-the-cuff, sort of spontaneous, um, the playback from the conjuring crowd that didn't have any truth to it. He, they just told him what the king wanted to hear. So we don't know whether, which it was, whether he'd forgotten his his dream or whether um, he was really going to get the truth out of his, his magicians. Um, anyway, he, in, in, in any event, he did not repeat back to them his dream. And uh, the spokesperson of that bunch uh, was uh, some of the Chaldeans. Um, they were an ethnic group. They were the ones who watched the sky. They were spoken of as being soothsayer priests. But they were, I guess they had... They had some heft. You know, they, they were in charge of this group that came into the king. And, and when the king basically wouldn't respond to their request, they got kind of uppity. And they claimed that no king, no despot, no potentate had ever demanded such a dream playback uh, from their magicians or Chaldeans. Uh, further, they claimed that only a god could unravel that mystery. Now, Nebuchadnezzar lost his temper and demanded that all his counsel, present and absent, all his counsel were going to be executed. So it tells you the kind of courtroom he kept. <laughs> Daniel was not present with uh, that particular conjuring crowd, as I've, as I've characterized them, and was taken into remand. He was taken into, into captivity, if you will, by Arioch, the, the king's executioner. But he questioned Arioch with discernment and discretion, and finally he figured out, exactly what the issue the issue is this dream and okay i got to get in to see the king so he gets access to nebuchadnezzar and gets a very short period of time to to return to his quarters gather up his friends from from judah get on their faces and call on god because their names excuse me their lives were at stake you know they they were named in the council they they were going to be executed as well Um, the answer came to daniel in in the form of a night vision um, that could also be called a dream. But he got uh, not only the setting of where the, king, where the king was, what the king was doing, when the dream came, and then the dream itself, and then the interpretation. So when he got that, he praised the God of heaven. That's a great song that's in there in um, chapter 2 of Daniel. If you want to look for something to... Put into your heart and, and play back to the Lord. That, it's a great thing. <clears throat> In any event, when he got a hold of the dream, then he praised the God of heaven, or El Elyon, for, for the answer. Immediately he went to the king to say, here it is. Here is what your dream was all about. So the dream itself was a huge figure appeared to Nebuchadnezzar, made up of four metals, each one representing an empire, that would rise and fall away in the future days. 
um, future millennia. Additionally, there were toes on this image that were made of both iron and clay. And then the king had seen a rock that had been cut out of a, out of a mountain without hands. That rock had been cast at the feet of this statue and had reduced that statue to dust and it had blown away. <clears throat> and now, um, uh, God told Nebuchadnezzar that he was the gold head and beneath him was the Persian Empire, which was the chest and shoulders, and beneath the chest and shoulders was the, the bronze abdomen and upper, upper thighs of the Grecian Empire, and then the iron legs of the Roman Empire. The fifth empire has not yet been revealed. It hadn't happened yet in human history. It will come at the time of the second coming of Christ. So let's pray. God most high, you break into the dreams of kings, you lift up nations, and you tear them down. We're so grateful for your grace and mercy in the time of Daniel and in our day, Lord. We're seeking for your footprints, Lord, so we can walk in your footsteps. Thank you that the word of God points us in that righteous direction. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin with verse 1 of chapter 3. It was believed at this time that there had been a rebellion. Uh, excuse me, 10 years had passed, okay? Um, Daniel and um, Azariah and Mas Mas Name. <laughs> Sorry, I've got, I've got Babylonian names and I've got Hebrew names and I've got to look them up here. Okay. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They, all four of them had been serving the king in, the, in, the, in, his, in his court. Okay? And, and ten years had passed. And now there'd been a, a rebellion. And um, Nebuchadnezzar had put it down. There, you know, there's nothing left. Okay? But what he did was summon his regional rulers and underlings to gather for a loyalty pledge. Now, there's some scholars that say, oh, no, no, this was a, a socioeconomic council that had gotten together. Um, if you recall, um, people had to fall to the ground and worship this, this symbol or be tossed into the furnace. So it didn't sound like any socioeconomic <coughs> council meeting that they were going to have. So I'll, I'll take it as, as a uh, loyalty oath here that, the, that the, the, the king is asking for. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, it's believed that this site of this gold pillar was somewhere out there, not far from Babylon, maybe 15, 20 miles out. But there's four or five other places in Babylon with the name Dura. So they haven't found it. They found, they found a stand, a French... Um, Archaeologists found a gigantic stand out in the middle of the desert with nothing on it. And he went, oh, well, this, this has to be, you know, J Daniel chapter 3. We don't know. Okay? <clears throat> then um, there's, a, there's a scholar squabble over uh, not only where it was built, but what it was built out of. 
because it's described here as gold. Proportions are 90 feet tall. That's, that's 60 cubits, 90 feet tall, and six feet, excuse me, nine feet wide. So it's, it's three, it's almost, Ben, ben has the kind of, <laughs> he has almost a nine foot wingspan, okay? <laughs> but um, um, <clears throat> it doesn't, when you put that thing up in the air, okay? Six feet tall, six feet wide, 90 feet tall. Not, excuse me, nine feet wide, 90 feet tall. Uh, it doesn't look anything like a human personage. And so you can't identify that as any character or creature. Um, <clears throat> now, there are many carved scenes and, and, um, and, and refuse that was left around some of the worship sites for, for uh, Nebo, who was number two in the pantheon of, of Babylon. And uh, some of the, the things that were used in the worship of that particular false god <clears throat> was kind of a very tightly shaped pyramid. Um, <clears throat> it, was, it was narrow, it was tall, it was skinny. We're all speculating. We don't know whether or not what, what uh, Nebuchadnezzar put up and what Nebo put up are two same things. Don't know. When you see um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Ask them, okay? What was that thing? Okay, <clears throat> okay the second question is, was it really gold? <clears throat> Some scholars um, hold that the sheer volume of the figure uh, would have taken more gold than was present in all of Babylon. Uh, not to mention, you know, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. That's a, that's a tremendous weight to balance out there in the middle of the, of the system. So... Uh, it's highly likely what this was was made out of fired brick and some um, <clears throat> restri- some structuring members to make sure it wasn't going to tip over in the breeze, and then it was it was covered with gold foil. Still very impressive. <clears throat> we don't know if it was round. We don't know what you know. It could have looked like a Louisville Slugger. <clears throat> okay. Okay, we don't know the exact shape of this thing, uh, just the base dimensions. And, but, you know, there are those who look at this and say, it looks to them as if the king who received a dream that placed a golden head on top of this future statue, picturing the um, empires that are to be. Here is uh, Nebuchadnezzar who is sort of elaborating on, you know, a head that becomes 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And, and so he's just, we don't know. You could ask. I don't think you're going to get a chance to talk to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm sorry. Um, in event, um, they're still digging. They're still finding. So we may have some archaeological help here. <clears throat> um, the deal here was that... Um, um, Nebuchadnezzar was, was going to put this thing up and he was going to get it worshipped. So there's one last thing. The Babylonian kings did not erect statues or, or monuments or things like that for their own worship. Uh, they would build statues and monuments and, and great carvings 
and gates and things like that that were decorated that spoke of their victories. And so the king got the, got the, cra- the, the credit for having won the victory. And in the process, he would say, oh, it was the god Bel or the god Nebo or one of our gods helped me win that battle. And so they turned it into a worship event, but it was of the god, not of the king. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had, the king had set up. So I mentioned earlier there had been a, there'd been a revolt, there'd been a rebellion, it had been put down, but now Nebuchadnezzar wants his internal government infrastructure to be snapped straight. He wants them to serve him only. The collection of attendees included these satraps. Okay, they were princes, actually, that ruled over big chunks of the region and were responsible for protection of Babylon as well. Those reporting directly to them would have been prefects and governors. They would report right up the line to the to the satraps. Then you've got captains, lords of administrative districts, you've got advisors and judges, treasurers and counselors, and even magistrates. Now a magistrate then and now is is sort of like a sheriff, except he has judicial powers. And so if there's someone who's done something wicked or evil or whatever, you, you go into the you know there's a there's judgment included in the in the package. Lastly, there was a passel of lesser provincial leaders. Um, it, it would have been, un, it probably would have been reasonable to think through, you've got a couple of thousand people gathered around this gold image. So in verses 4 to 6 it says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Not sure that that audience knew what was expected of them, but I think they got it on got it in one. They, Right, okay. <clears throat> now, Nebuchadnezzar was not only, he not only had erected this, this figure, this, this symbol, whatever it was, he had also created a worship event. That thing out there that's standing in the field, that's going to get worship, but then he, he set up the musicians and the, and the order of service, if you will. When the sound of music from instruments like a silver horn, a flute, or, bag, or panpipes, a strummed lyre, a triagonal harp, and some form of bagpipes, blared, twanged, thrummed, strummed, whatever that was, the massed audience were to fall down, face down on the ground. So when the, the music cut loose, every head touched and tapped the ground, except three. Now, verses 8 to 11 says, at that, you know, For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. 
And then they played back to the king. Oh, you, you, you built this awesome thing that we're worshiping. And, and you said, uh, if, if nobody fall, would not bow down to that, they go in the furnace. Uh, you see, and at that point, then they make their point. Uh, there are certain Jews who have been appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They, have not, they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. With that, the Chaldeans step back, and their jealousy is all over the floor. It's a mess. And Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind at that point. Uh, he explodes. Um, he has been disregarded. He, he built this structure uh, on, on demand, and it has not been bowed to. And all the other gods? No. They're not, if they're not bowing down to those other gods, they're out of compliance just as well. In rage and in anger, he orders those three Jewish administrators from the province of Babylon to be brought before him. So they're present. They're there. They're sort of brought in, presented before the king. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are immediately questioned. King says, Is it true that you do not serve my gods and worship the golden image that I set up? Nebuchadnezzar had assigned those three guys under Daniel uh, 10 years previously to oversee the province of Babylon. Now, we don't know what they did, whether they rotated you know, uh, chairs to say, okay, this next year I'm going to take over agriculture and you get, you know, the fisheries or what, whatever it is. Okay? We don't know what their, their job descriptions were, but they obviously thrived. They obviously survived doing that. And they were known in the court because when he raised his eyes and he saw them, something shifted in the king. The tone of rage and anger diminish once those three men are in front of him. And he goes, oh, I know you guys. Okay? King wants to know if the charges against his counselors are true. And he goes further. These three will get another chance. There's going to be another little song fest over here of all that music is going to blare out again and you're going to get an opportunity to fall on your face and worship. And then he turns to them and says, that would be good if you did that. Sounds like mom sometimes actually. Um, Okay. And the response back uh, is based upon what the the last thing the king said. King said, what God will be able to deliver you out of my hands? Because if you don't bow, you're going in the furnace. Verse 16 to 18 has the reply of those Jewish young men to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, fascinating, everybody else is going, O king, great king, live forever. They don't say that to him. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar. So there's some relationship there that's worked out over 10 years that can be on a first name basis. They don't have to throw the kingly title in or, you know, etc. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. If it is so, 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. The king's face was consumed with wrath. And he ordered the furnace. I passed that picture around a bit. Um, there it is. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's the ancient Babylonian furnaces. Look sort of like a milk bottle. They got a shape to it. Or it can be an upside down. Uh, what? Funnel. Yeah, like a funnel. Well, it's not quite that. It's a little smoothed. Okay. Um, chalice. An upside down chalice could do it if you just placed it there. Okay. And uh, the king had already said, I want that furnace right there to be heated seven times hotter than ever before. So as you saw the, the description, there's a ramp that goes up the side of the, of the furnace and into the upper door would be poured in uh, metal ore. If you're going to smelt silver, you're going to smelt gold, you're going to smelt copper, whatever, you know, you could do that at, at whatever temperature was there. Okay? And it was said that of those ancient uh, furnaces, uh, they could reach about 1950 degrees. That's just about the melting point of, of gold. So the, the way that you would get this thing ramped up is the pitmaster would pour uh, a bunch of fuel in the bottom window, at the, down at the bottom, things that would combust and pitch and tar, and then he backs up and hits it with the bellows. He, he's, he's blowing a wind through that. He's got a wind blowing through that, that, uh, that furnace. Uh, probably this, um, this furnace was actually built right there next to this symbol because it was part of firing the bricks that built that and, and melting the gold that covered it. Now, the question for its family is, does God have omniscience? Is he all-powerful? Oh, you want to pronounce that way. Did I say omniscience? Uh, omnipotence. Thank you. Correction. I accept that. It's omnipotence. Thank you. All right. The answer is yes, he does. And can he rescue and deliver brothers and sisters from all kinds of problems and trials? Yes. Okay. Does God rescue all believers from all trials? No, he does not. He may allow trials to build character as a witness to those who watch or as a faith builder for those who suffer. Now, we don't understand our pain and struggle when that happens. But God simply asks us to trust him, even when it's in the pits. Now, look at Job. He's, he's someone who's suffered immensely. And Job is the one who said, 
Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. God does not promise that suffering and death will never come near us. But what he does promise is that he will be with us. Now, uh, you get a chance to look a little more closely at these young men who, who set themselves in the face of the king. These three young Jewish men were not present to distribute tracts. Okay? They were not going to get up on a washtub and, and deliver to the audience. Okay? They were not to speak out apologetics or lift their voices to the whole crowd. They already said that they were not going to negotiate the possibility of falling down and worshiping idols. Instead, they made a clear statement about their relationship with El Elyon, God Most High, and his power and expressed their confidence in him. Whether they lived or died, having stood as God's men, now they have to stand before the king and his rank paganism. Nebuchadnezzar ordered some of the strongest soldiers to seize those three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to seize them and bind them in their full, full garment. And they were, this was not stripped down, throw them in the, into the furnace. This was fully, fully dressed. And that meant uh, they had a turban. Okay? They had a wool, a very light wool tunic. They had a linen tunic underneath and, a, and some linen leggings and slippers. And it, that all that would, would explode into flame as they approached the furnace. And so these soldiers bind them, hoist them up on their shoulders, run them up the ramp to the upper window. And as they are throwing those three young men through the upper window, which was not a small fall, by the way, okay, uh, there was a blast of heat that issued forth from that upper window. Whether it was an untimely blast of the bellows or whether it was a wind of the God that rushed in that lower, do- lower window, lower door of the, of the furnace, it shot up and blasted out of that second window above the, above the, uh, the walkway up there. The three young men were pitched through the window of flame down into the lower portion. And the, for the, the raised walkway was covered with chicharron, blackened bits of soldier. Those who had attempted to throw them in were, were killed on the site. Here sits Nebuchadnezzar enjoying his execution. Suddenly the king leaps to his feet in verse 24 and 27. He says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded and said to the high officials around him, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. He answered and said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door. Not, dear, not near enough, but near, near to the door. Okay. okay. 
and, and called out and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, your servants, you, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around. I mean, it was like a, let's go see what this is. Never seen nothing like this before. Okay? Because the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. It was not just Nebuchadnezzar who bore witness of the miracle. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds were present and able to examine those who had walked out of the furnace untouched. So 10 years have passed, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar still does not have a personal relationship with God Most High. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, mind you, and yielding up, yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the, <coughs> excuse me, in the province of, ba of Babylon. All right, Forge family, let me assure you, this is not a one-off um, set of miracles concerning execution and fire and, and violent adversaries. That's just, you look at church history, there it is. What God wants to see is for mankind being aware of his presence and his power, and that is displayed in our faith. All that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did was to show up. Now, yes, they got to testify of God Most High, but that was not a guarantee that they would walk out of the furnace. Rather, each man knew that he had been chosen out by God for that moment. Now, where is it that we run to when we're faced with violent potential, with threats of life and limb? Where do, where do we go? We go to the cleft of the rock. We hide under his wing. We don't have a very good idea what he's about to do, but know this. He will do it with grace and mercy because each of you have been washed by the blood of, the, of his son, Jesus. That makes you his children as well. And how does the father deal with suffering children of his? There's two choices. There's healing, or there's eternity with no suffering whatsoever. Finally, what about the fourth figure walking around in the flames of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
Uh, Nebuchadnezzar perceived that this fourth figure had something special about it. it. It glowed, it shined, it had a Shekinah glory that only God has. Uh, lacking any other term, Nebuchadnezzar chose the word angel. Now, we know uh, of the pre-incarnate Christ, the, the angel of the Lord, who is seen over and over and over again through the Hebrew Scriptures. Here, his presence preserved these young men in a mighty way. He delivered his own promise through Isaiah chapter 43, 150 years before. It says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And directly to us. Isaiah 43 verse 2. When you walk through the fire, Forge, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Let's pray. Almighty God, we trust that you are able to deliver us when we stand in front of evil men and women. We know you can quench the violence of fire. Please set about to equip us as your servants to give you a Dura Plains Day word in our mouth when it's needed. You promised to put words in our mouth, so by faith, we open our mouths in that moment of great need. Let it be heard and seen abroad that you are a great God. In Jesus' name, amen.